Good afternoon and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. Um, a couple of special guests this week. One more special than the other, if I don't mind so saying so, Prano. I'll no offence. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dave Prentice, Echo Sports Editor. Phil Kirkbride's here, myself. And Lyndon Lloyd from Toffee Web has joined us. and We're very grateful for that as well. Welcome. Thanks. Honoured to be here. Um, before we crack on to the, uh, the kind of the more laid-back themes and, and the ones that were kind of not dominated by the fixture schedule, we'll have a look ahead at tomorrow's game against West Brom. The battle of um, the best of the rest for now. Prano, is it a must-win after last weekend? And, and if you look at the top six and yeah. uh, the fight to get into the... Is it a must-win game? Disappointingly, I don't think it is uh, because I think Everton are exactly where they deserve to be in the, uh, in the Premier League. Being honest, hand on heart, I can't really see them climbing any higher and catching Man United. And equally, they're far superior to West Brom, uh, and I think they will finish above them. I think far uh, superior. Superior. The tables and yeah. say so. Well, four points worth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think um, Europa League qualification is entirely dependent now on somebody in the top four winning the FA Cup, which is a little bit disappointing. Who knows? I mean, maybe Manchester United will have a meltdown with their, their <laughs> Europa League commitments. But I just think Everton have shown this season that they are very, very capable of beating the teams that you would expect them to beat. But when you know push comes to shove against the uh, the more elite teams, there's still a bit of work to do. I mean, the Manchester City results, notwithstanding, you know that was a suggestion that yes, things are going in the right direction. But then equally, last weekend against a very, very good Tottenham team, you know, so Everton were found sorely wanting. So you know, much as I'd like to be optimistic and top thumping in that, I think we'll see Everton finishing pretty much where they are right now. Obviously, a win against West Brom tomorrow would be brilliant. Yeah, that would. You know, take our large step towards confirming that. Briefly, I don't think it would be enough to, you know, sort of catch on the coattails of Man United. Linda, I think Prano probably, you know, I probably agree with the sentiment there. Really, um, it's important though to kind of lay down a marker by making that definition in, in being the best of the rest, and and beating West Brom would, would I suppose, do that really, wouldn't it? Yeah, that, I mean, I, I was going to say that for me, it is a must-win because of expectation it's going to be a sold out game I think ever since we got knocked out of the FA Cup there's been this feeling that the season's over the longer the longer we can con- convince ourselves that it's not you know that the top six is you never know Arsenal are falling Manchester United are erratic um, Liverpool there's always the hope that they'll keep stumbling and you, you never know that's the thing that people say you, know, you never know in fo- football and you never do if you just keep on winning you know, we could maybe make up some of the ground. So for me, um, I, I still have this hope that something funny could happen. So, yeah. you know, for me, I'd, I'd love to see us win. And we don't have many games, do we? Between Obviously, as you mentioned, going out of the Cup again, um, so frustrating in both Cups. Um, the fixtures are quite sparse, really, compared to other clubs. Anyway, you, have, you look at the fixture list and you know, there's another international break coming up. That momentum yeah. is key. And, and Koeman hinted at Goodison Park one thing he has uh, certainly has done is make us hard to beat at home again. Yeah, I think I saw someone say that United don't play another league game until we've played three. So well, we could okay. actually be above them by the next time they actually play in the Premier League. So, And then it's all about psychology, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, we'll see. Phil, um, Tony Pulis has had a little go in terms of the psychological stakes, hasn't he, and suggested that Everton desperate to get into the top six. I don't know if he's trying to play mind games or if he's just being honest. He's he's got a pension for well, doing both, really. Hasn't I he? think the fact that he, he he said Everton have invested quote heavily. You know, I think he's trying to 
perhaps played mind games with the Blues, but he could sort of paint the picture, understandably so, that how well his West Brom side have done in comparison. David um, Moyes, isn't it? I was just going to say, David Moyes, lucky little underdog. You know, I, I, yeah. you know, and fair play to West Brom, I don't think anybody felt they'd be on Everton's coattails, you know, certainly they've, they've kept plugging away, haven't they? And it seemed like every time Everton won, they won. Yeah. So, so for me, going into Saturday, I feel though, having said all that, a victory would effectively more or less kill off that threat, however slight, you know, yeah. and really extinguish any hopes that they had realistically of sort of leapfrogging us into seventh. And I think, you know, and as, as we've mentioned, the way that the season's panned out and the fact that, you know, if one of the sides who currently in the top six go and win the FA Cup, then seventh becomes Europa League qualification, albeit uh, for the qualifying, you know, the final qualifying phase. And, you know, I've admitted that maybe post-Leicester, maybe a little bit too much emotionally went into my reaction at that point and, and I sort of writing off the season but because of the way things have panned out there's still very much something on the line and that's Europe and yeah. I know people deride the Europa League but for me if you can get back into Europe I think it's a fabulous thing I think Ronald alluded to it the other week when I asked him about trying to attract players I think it's a, it's it's not Champions League but it's definitely something that you can uh, add on to the list of, of, of reasons why Everton are an attractive proposition. I think it's all about growth and about perception. And Everton back in Europe is a real big step, especially at, you know in, in in the manager's first season. When you think about the changes that he's had to make and he's still having to make, and the fact that he's only two windows in, they've had ups and downs in in dealings with transfers. I think that if we can sneak into Europe. That, that for me, and we've said it. I think we we sat around here, didn't we, in August? Said what would be uh, a good season getting back into Europe would for me be a successful first season. I think the Europa League's undergone a bit of a slow renaissance. I think it pains me to say, but the likes of Liverpool getting to the final and the publicity that goes along with that. United are starting to take it seriously, despite what Mourinho kind of says. They look like a shoe in to get into the quarterfinals for me, really. They've got past that banana skin at Rostov. Although you never know, Lyndon's right to say in football you don't. But mm. you know, the, the mere presence of clubs with the global pull of United, it, it's going to generally take the Europa League's reputation along with it. So it's where you want to be. And Preno, the alternative, and I don't mean to sound like a miserable get, but the alternative, yeah. if West Brom did overtake us and finish seventh and we somehow finished eighth, you're almost thinking, well, this season been a bit of a failure, really. So that's why I mean, must win. Yeah, I, t- I take that point certainly. Uh, I just think that, yeah, well, maybe I'm just deluding myself, but I just look at the two squads, Everton and West Brom, and look at their respective results. Uh, I, I don't see like for like. I just see, you know, so one team that's you know certainly classier, bigger depth. I mean, the thing that really impresses me about what Ronald Koeman has done already in a short period of time has increased Everton's strength in depth. And you look at the substitutes bench uh, now at matches and you're thinking, wow, yeah, there's options galore there, there's experience. Um, you know, they're looking like uh, a real deep squad. Whereas West Brom, you certainly don't. And uh, you look at some of like, the match-winning players that Everton have got and you, know, you don't see that in West Brom. Which, you know, again, is a backhanded compliment really to where West Brom are in the, in the table. But it's built on, you know, this uh, solid defence and, you know, the ability to set players. A bit more than that, but, you know, that mm-hmm. is a large part of their success. And Ronald Koeman mentioned that in his press conference yesterday. What did he say? 36 goals to score 16 from set players. You know, the, he's obviously done his homework on them. Uh, but I just think that, you know, to Everton, 
That's, you know, should be not even worried about West Brom. You know, it, yeah, okay, if West Brom can somehow do what they did at Goodison last year and scramble away, they're only a point behind. But I don't think they would even seriously think of themselves as you know serious competitors of Everton's place. Maybe I'm deluding myself. Go on. <laughs> interesting footnote. Well, I think it's an interesting footnote is that a victory for either team on Saturday will see them match. Their tally, their points tally from last season. Yeah, that's a good show for both. Yeah, right. and, and yeah. we still have ten games left. So, and we spoke about it for a long time, particularly the, the transformation in form at Goodison. But it would just be for me if Everton won, not only a nail in West Brom's coffin of them trying to overtake us, but a kind of another, another marker, you know, another a line in the sand, yeah. drawing us from the past and Ronald going look I'm making serious progress here because I think in his two seasons at Southampton they finished with 16, 63 points That's right. and you would think you know, victory on Saturday another 10 games left Everton will be looking to certainly match that if not surpass it Lyndon you know they are potent from set pieces and you know Everton's defending in, in those sorts of areas has undoubtedly improved under, under Koeman um, it couldn't have got much worse granted under his predecessor but um, I guess the defence, we spoke a lot about Ramiro Funes Mari on Tuesday, so I don't want to labour the point. I know there was a mixed reaction. A lot of people kind of agreed with Phil and I that generally we don't think he's good enough. Other people said it was a bit of a, a witch hunt and he was being made a scapegoat. Nonetheless, are you happy with Everton's back line going into, well, certainly last weekend, going into a game against uh, West Brom at home? Would you want, Jack, Jack, I don't know, does Jack's not deserve a look in or are you happy how it is? I don't know, with Jags, it's one of those things where you, you you forget where the problems were and start to creep into his game. The longer he's been out, you start to look at the bench again and think, oh no, why don't we try him again? I think there's there's errors in all three of them. Um, and so the back line for me, I think it's you know it's fine till the end of the season. I was all for Ashley Williams coming in, but I've been slightly disappointed about yeah. um, his form. Um, he's a lot more one-dimensional, I think, than, than we were expecting. Um maybe not quite the leader maybe still settling into it and give him a bit more time um, I've always had this feeling particularly now that Ronald Koeman's come in that Funes Mori's days are probably probably numbered from yeah. the get-go that he's just not his style of player but he's used him because he's the most effective yeah. that we have for the position I mean he just seems like the consummate continental player I can yeah. see him playing in Spain quite easily so um, and going for for quite big money if we were to sell him on yeah. I think a Spanish club or maybe well, Barcelona, Italian club there were rumours to be looking at him at one point they could come in and offer us you know quite a lot of money thinking that we'd really like to keep hold of him maybe Ronald's like no <laughs> take him away so yeah my, but for, I mean, for tomorrow my concern is you know if it's nil nil one nil heading into you know, the 70th minute and they start piling the, you know, throwing the ball in the box set pieces Goodison starts getting a little hmm. Unnervy and a little nervy. I think that's that, that's my concern with the defence um, because you know they are good at set pieces and they've got Gareth McCauley's their joint top scorer now. Or something. At thirty-seven, yeah. ripe, ripe old age at thirty-seven. Yeah, I mean, Murray's not bad in the air. To be fair, you know, he's uh, it's not his strongest suit, um, but he's playing at the moment purely because of his pace. I mean, Jaggy Elka, um, who I like enormously, you know, thinks had an enormous contribution to Everton, but you know, clearly his pace had gone. And uh, other clubs had identified that and were taking advantage of it. 
Um, maybe in a game like this, I think it'd be wrong to like bring him straight back in. You know, clearly his, his sharpness is going to have suffered through being out of the team. So you're not going to cancel that just by being you know so sort of decent in the air. Mm. But I don't think Murray's you know so as bad in the air as he's made out. The thing that you know appalls me about him and appalled me at the weekend is his distribution. I think it was dreadful. And a couple of guys took me to task on social media over that. So you know, I looked at the uh, the figures just to make sure I wasn't being you know, desperately unfair. I think it was 41 completed passes out of a 52, which doesn't sound bad, but too often he was given possession, you know, so in the back line by Spurs, and it was just aimless punts forward. He was just launching it, and there's one he just put directly into touch. Um, and you want more than that, you know, so you, you want to try and retain possession, or if you're going to play a ball forward, make it a forward pass that maybe Lukaku's got yeah. half a chance of racing onto, not just a punt in the general direction yeah. of the flanks. That disappointed me. Uh, but not a witch hunt. I think he's, he's, he's okay, he's a decent enough defender. You don't get to be an Argentinian international, uh, you know, without that. Uh, but I, I, I agree with Lyndon. I think uh, Kuman is using him because, you know, he has to for the time being, but I don't think he sees him as a long term option. Yeah. We'll see who's starting goal, but Lyndon, you can play Judge Judy to a debate which has rumbled on in the small court between me and Phil. It is a little bit looking back at Spurs, so forgive us this, and I think we mentioned it on Tuesday, but I'll let you make the final decision, and what whoever's ruled against can never bring it up again. Um, <laughs> the incident for Tottenham's second goal at White Hart Lane... Mm-hmm. Joel uh, throws the ball out to Morgan Schneiderlin and then as we know the rest is painful recent history it ends up in the back of the net Um, I feel it was Joel's fault for going to Schneiderlin Um, Phil feels it was Schneiderlin's fault for an international class midfielder you know his ilk um, just not dealing with the situation better despite Who's right? Who's wrong? And you're allowed to say, oh, you're, you're allowed to sit on the fence if you want, but if you want to say I'm right, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> now, for, for me, I, I blame Joel Robles, right? Um, because, I mean, Schneiderman's got his back to goal. Robles can see the whole field. And for me, you know, he played him... I mean, it's, it's, it's dead central, so he's, if he's got... If he's, Got players coming in for both sides, then he's he's screwed either way. You know the, don't you start because no, you said Lyndon's a judge. It's going to be a two-two draw because I'm totally with Phil. Oh. <laughs> I think that Morgan Schneidlin, a fella of his quality, should have controlled that ball better. Should have been aware of what was around him better. But should he have been put in that position? It's not two-two, Brennan, because it's three-two because Ronald Koeman agrees. With <laughs> oh, there we go. I made Lyndon the judge, lads. Go on then. Go on, mouth. Well, you, you'll be able to read it on the website around 10 o'clock this evening, but all I'm saying is he agrees with me and Preno. <laughs> well, either way, uh, we'll Ronald's see. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. No, I just think, yeah, you, you're right, Morgan should have been able to handle it better. Well, what's interesting, actually, is to do is about the goalkeeper full stop, because Joel's made it perfectly clear that he wants a new contract, he wants a long-term future at Everton, and he finally sees himself as being first choice you know, for the first time in th- yeah. more than three years. Now, is he good enough uh, to warrant that status? Is he good enough to improve and you know, become a, a solid Everton goalkeeper? Or we want, we want more than solid, a very good Everton goalkeeper in the years ahead. And I think the jury's still out on that one. Um, he's had a very good you know, introduction. Um, he does a lot of things very, very well. And some of the saves he's made during the nine-game unbeaten run mm-hmm. were very important at times of matches you know, where he hadn't had a great deal to do, but was asked to do things and did them significantly. I'm thinking of the save you know, from uh, whoever it was against Bournemouth that was like, uh, so significant, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a number of others. So he is a very, very good goalkeeper, but he is prone to occasional moments where you think, could he have done better? 
And, you know, the same thing was said about uh, Harry Kane's opening goal. You know, OK, he could have been closed down. It was a long-range shot. It was a great effort. But your immediate reaction is, should the goalkeeper really be getting beat from that distance? So I don't know. Um, Jory's still out on that one. I personally would like to see um, a better quality goalkeeper in there. Whether Joel can become that better quality goalkeeper, I don't know. I certainly don't think Ronald Koeman will probably allow him to. I think he's so ruthless. I think he'll be looking for an absolute top-level operator yeah. this summer. I think, to sum it up, I think what Joel has done in his form since replacing Stecklenburg is he's bought the club time. Yeah, He's bought them time to go and have a proper look. They didn't have to go in January and buy somebody they weren't maybe necessarily 100% certain on. And he's allowed them to... Uh, Talk a little bit deeper into the market and make a, a more informed choice in the summer. Lyndon, the stack or Joel, where'd you sit on that one? I think Joel right now. I mean, at the beginning of the season, there were lots of people jumping up and down saying the goalkeeper should be one of the higher priorities. I, I was quite relaxed by going into the season with those two, mm-hmm. and I think that's more or less sort of shaken out that way. But um, yeah, I agree with I agree with Preno that I think he's he's by he's bought. Kuman a season to, to assess him properly. The jury is still out, but by the end of the season, I think he's got to be looking to get a top quality. Who that is, I don't yeah. know. I mean, mm. that's that's the thing. Who, who yeah, is, you know I mean? not exactly an abundance of the demand. You know, Butland's missed a whole season. Is is his ankle going to yeah. be okay? Because he had a bit of a setback, didn't he? Um, you know, there's names, a couple of German names mentioned, but um, yeah. It's, I'm glad I don't have to pick quite. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, that. You're thinking about, I mean, Fraser Forster, the, the more I see him, the more I see errors in his game. Yeah. Uh, there's no one, apart from the obvious candidates in the Premier League, you know, your De Gea's, your Lorises, you know, your Courtois, yeah. Uh, so maybe it will require you know Steve Walsh's extensive scouting network to unearth a gem from abroad somewhere. That's why I was ringside on Saturday. Should have had a word <laughs> in front of Absolutely, yeah. Harry <laughs> <laughs> Redknapp sat behind me, so they've got no sense there. <laughs> I mean, goal, goalkeepers make errors. You know, Joe Hart made you know a, a few of them, and, and people were not all that concerned when he left Manchester City. So when you look at you know the fact that goalkeepers make mistakes, it's and they're amplified. Their mistakes are crucial. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I'm much more happy with Joel in goal than I ever was with Tim Howard in the last two, three seasons that he was here. So yeah. for me, it's a, it's, a step, it's a step up already. And if we can make another one, then, then great. Definitely. Um, yeah, you're right. I suppose in, in, the, in the age with Sky and stuff, those errors are increasingly mm-hmm. really analysed, maybe overanalysed. But um, yeah, finding a goalie that doesn't make those, those occasional ricks, that's... That's when you really find worth your weight in gold. So well, you do, and also you, know, you need to have a little bit of patience sometimes if you find that goalkeeper and have faith with them. Uh, David De Gea had a very, very you know shaky mm, you know, first first season at Old yeah. Trafford. And I'm thinking of uh, Big Nev, the greatest I've ever seen, and uh, you know he had a I wouldn't say shaky, but there were moments in those first year or two. You know he was farmed out on loan. You know sort of rediscover his confidence after that five 0 shelling by Liverpool, mm. which wasn't his fault. Uh, stepped over the line at Watford on the opening day of the season. I recall, you know, there were one or two little moments, but you know, Howard clearly saw a goalkeeper who we thought you know, could develop and did. So, you know, if we can get a young goalkeeper in and you know, allow him to develop and to grow into the role and become something like that, something like a, a Nigel Martin, who's like the best we've had in recent years. Yeah. While I remember Preno as well, you mentioned Howard. Um, I think it'd be remiss us to let the podcast pass without remembering that today. It's the 50th anniversary of when a young Howard Kendall with that Teddy Boy quiff um, signed on the dotted line and became 
yeah. well, started his Everton journey as a legend. Yeah, we put that out this morning on our social media, and I got a great reply actually from Phil McNulty, who used to work here a long time ago. I mean, the anecdote that was in there that everyone knows about is he arrived in a red MG. And um, Harry Catterick immediately told him to sell it, or you know, so at least paint it blue. <laughs> he says, "You don't know what they're like around here, son." And you know, Howard quickly learned what they were like. Uh, but Phil McNulty uh, tweets us and says, "Oh no, Mike Ellis has got a, a good story to tell about that." It was also 50 years ago to the day that Harry Catterick gave rang him to tell him the exclusive that Howard Kendall was signing for Liverpool. <laughs> and, you know, deliberately misled him, you know, so trying to put Liverpool, you know, off the scent and maybe, you know, so let Liverpool think they had actually signed him. And uh, whether Mike Ellis ever forgave him, I don't know. <laughs> that was the cat, ruthless. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's still sometimes easy to forget that he's gone, really, isn't it, without being too maudlin. He's yeah. such a big presence yeah. and in the lives of all Evertonians and, mm-hmm. you know, at Goodison Park, you know, week in, week out, um, uh, he, he really does kind of loom large over and, and we're pleased that the Gladys Street was, was given its added title this season I know it's not one that gets used particularly mm. much but I think it's important that it was he was acknowledged in that way and maybe at our new stadium opportunity there'll be an, opportunity. another opportunity what do you think? Yeah, no, I think so I mean if it, particularly if that's the name from mm. the beginning um, then yeah it should, we should prop- honour him Properly, and hopefully we'll you know, get the statues. Definitely, it might. Statues up. Yeah, yeah. The old statue would be a, would certainly be a great start, yeah. wouldn't it? Um, Phil, talking about young young players and uh, potential and having faith in them. Ross Barkley's been in the headlines again this week. Um, he's very rarely n- not in the headlines for whatever reason. One of the better players that you that you watched with Preno at White Hart Lane. The best player in Royal Blue. The best yeah. player in Royal Blue, certainly. Yeah. We, were, we were talking where we earlier with Lyndon and we were just chatting over Ross's future. We're at an interesting stage in his Everton career, aren't we, with stories about his contract uh, negotiations. Koeman said, yes, they still haven't started, although he's spoken to Ross in Dubai about mm. his future. However, Everton mustn't let the grass grow under their feet here, can they? Because... As we were saying, I'll let you expand on it, but January 2018, you could actually sign a pre-contract with another club. Yeah, I, I'm quite surprised, really, that it's it's been allowed to get to this point where, you know, over 12, 13 months ago, it was Roberto Martinez talked about it as almost, not as a matter of urgency, but something that was firmly on the agenda for, for last summer and that it was something that we're going to have to sit down and talk about. You know, come June, Ross will have less than twelve months on his contract, and Ronald, as you said, said that will that talks are planned, but he didn't speak with any certainty. You know, he he said I'd not be getting given any, any sorry any indication that Ross wants to leave, yeah. but then didn't say he had any indication that Ross has yeah you know got yeah. to sign on the dotted line tomorrow and there's no problem. I feel almost as though Ross has got Everton on the back foot a little bit I think the fact that it's got to this point and so far advanced into the season and so close to the the 12 month sort of line if you like that it's I don't know, it worries me a touch I'll be honest mm-hmm. um, because you know, there needs to be a clear indication from for the, from the club's point of view whether in the summer that if Ross intends to sign or not because as we spoke about you imagine how much of an absolute disaster it would be if you get to January and he say I'm I'm, I'm going to leave and something, and you lose him for for effectively nothing, or as we spoke about, you maybe get a nominal development fee because he's <laughs> under twenty four and you've you've brought him through your academy. You know, I would like to think that there will be a resolution, but I think the fact that it's got to this stage and 
and the inferences that Ross hasn't made his mind up is something that may have taken Everton aback because it was always this, an assumption that Ross, the boyhood blue, the lad from Wavertree, who's, who's, you know, whose who's blood is royal blue, you know, would always sign. Of course he would. He would offer him a contract tomorrow and he would just sign it because it's his club and he loves playing for them. But I think there's probably been a lot of sort of reflection this season for Ross. He's come through a very tough period, a lot of public discussion about him, the manager not afraid to publicly criticise him and you know when he's he's you know, Ronald has, has has revealed that Ross sought him out and, and asked him why it was always about him and he's bounced back and he's playing as well as I've ever seen him for Everton now. But it was definitely a situation where it's it's no longer a given that he will be here for the rest of his career. You know, and you hear some people suggest that it might be for the best for his career that he doesn't play in the bubble of Merseyside and he goes out and experiences mm. Spurs, City, whatever, I don't know. Um, I think, though, that you know the way that Ronald was speaking, and again, it's just, we're just reading between the lines here, he'd said yesterday in front of the cameras that he'd mentioned it to the board. Now, that says to me the manager realised it's urgent. Mm. And it would have been Ronald in Dubai who'd said, Ross, I want to speak, Let's, you know, what, what's going on type of thing. So it sounds to me that Ronald hasn't had a, a clear indication either way, but he he's understands it's a matter of urgency. And the next few months will be interesting because I, I'll, I think you're in a sticky situation if you get to June and July and he hasn't signed a new deal because, you know, you know if, if, he, if he's given the indication he doesn't want to stay, and that's the feeling going into summer, send a decision about whether you put him up for sale or not, and nobody wants that. You know, there was a, a direct comparison across the park going back about 10 years or so ago when uh, Steven Gerrard uh, was in the same situation and Liverpool very nearly got caught with the pants down on that one. Um, he felt that he wasn't valued. He, he felt you know, incorrectly that the club didn't really want him. And so he started listening to overtures from Chelsea. And uh, you know, we had that situation whereby you know, he genuinely came very, very close to leaving. You know, absolutely, you know, sort of club icon, club legend, came close to leaving. Now, obviously, Barkley isn't at that you know, status yet. But, you know... It, you do suspect that maybe he doesn't feel as valued as maybe he should do. You know, um, a fellow of his quality, you know, should think that you know the club will want to tie me down. You know, more than twelve months in advance of a new deal. So it's a little concerning. And yeah, Ronald Koeman is right. Seems to be treating it as a matter of urgency. I think maybe it should have been done a long time before now. I think there's been a sort of correcting to there. I think there's a little bit of Everton and, and Ross perhaps have been a little bit of a victim of circumstance. The club went through a seismic change in the summer. It's been an evolving process. The manager has had to get time to get his feet under the table, assess the squad. And in the midst of that, Ross wasn't performing very well. Mm. And it almost feels, you know, this isn't perhaps the right use of, of words, but almost like it had been forgotten. Ross had, wasn't playing at the, at the, as well as we, knew, we know. There was doubts about his, his, his sort of long-term future as a, as a regular you know, he's obviously say he's, he's 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 bounced back and has proven that he should be in the team every week now. It's almost as if it had it just been parked yeah. because of that, and everything was moving and the fast pace of change. It's almost like it was low down on the priority list. Whereas twelve months ago, as we say, Roberto Martinez was talking about something that had to be sorted, yeah. and you know, as I say, it's come very too close to comfort for comfort for me yeah. uh, without a resolution. Linda, what's your reading of the situation with Barkley? Well, it could be just what Phil was saying. It could be that while he, while he wasn't playing that well, that there wasn't any urgency, certainly from, from Koeman. I mean, obviously, he was still assessing all of his options. He probably wasn't talking to the board about long-term contracts for anyone, really, at that point, maybe yeah. apart from Lukaku. Um, 
and I, I just hope that that he hasn't sort of been taken for granted a little bit because he is the boyhood blue. And uh, we'll sort you out, Ross. We'll sort you out. You know, let's, let's just get the others tied down first. Um, I mean, that obviously hasn't been the case with the likes of Tom Davies and, and those other kind of local boys. But yeah, I just hope that um, it gets sorted out and that he's not. Yeah, that we haven't taken it for granted. There's no complacency thinking, oh, he'll sign. Yeah, you know, and it does get done because I mean, it's it's un- I don't know, maybe just looking at the outside, it's unthinkable for us to think that he would want to leave, that he wouldn't want to stay. He seems more than most players to be completely wedded to the club at the moment. But you know, privately, perhaps he does. You know, feel that he's not been treated the way he wants to, and and if there's any desire to play elsewhere, to you know, as, as Phil said, cut his teeth somewhere else for a bit. I don't know, we'll see. You should never ever take it for granted. I remember as a, as a boy, you know, having my heart broken a couple of times mm-hmm. when Kenny McNaught left Everton. I didn't see that one coming. But, you know, the big obvious one is Steve McMahon, who was a, a, a ball boy at Goodison, who was a, an Evertonian as a kid. And, you know, he wanted to leave because he was ambitious, because he, he wanted to join a football club that could win things. Mm-hmm. Went to Aston Villa, just as Emerson started winning everything in sight. <laughs> but, you know, he, you know, he was taken for granted, maybe. You know, so. There's always, as well, the, yeah. the, the agents factor, like, Ross is with um, one of the preeminent agents, in, in, certainly in the Premier League, uh, Paul Martin at Vassal Media. Um, top operator, very good at what he does, has a lot of high-end players on his, uh, on his roster. So he could, well, um, he could well be managing a situation to put that fear of doubt into Everton. Whether Ross, deep down, actually wants to leave, I don't know. Uh, but the fact that it's taken this long... I think getting back to what Phil said right at the start of this section, it's put it's left Everton on the back foot, and perhaps it's a bit of a, I don't know if it's a salutary lesson. It sounds a bit patronising, but it's certainly something that you would hope as the club moves forward with fired machinery at the top, and the structure begins to change and evolve. Things like that aren't left to where a situation where it becomes almost a bit, a bit nervy anymore. Um, Quick one on Lukaku, Phil. It's what are we now? Ninety-nine point nine 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 nine. Another nine. Yeah, we're actually Lyndon Glenn. How many nines? Seriously though, we were saying earlier when we thought it would be done by now. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. You think? I mean, because the longer it's almost what are we? Three three months for the end of the season. I mean, it's getting to the point where it's almost you know twitchy bone time. Absolutely, yeah. With you know, with with it and. Yeah, and just just get it done, get him tied down now, and whatever happens in the summer happens. But at least you know we have the the security. But yeah, it's it's just one of those we just want it to be finished. You know? I I wonder, you know, the longer it it remains unsigned, and the longer Mino Raiola goes on national radio and says, it's you know, which we joke, but it's very close to being done. Yeah. But it isn't signed. Mm-hmm. For me, why isn't it yet signed? It, it can't be because. Someone just hasn't picked up a fax. Fax. I don't know why I've just. Yeah. We're not in 1994. <laughs> uh, it can't just be that someone hasn't you know, checked their email in folder. It's gone into the junk. Something yet isn't agreed. And is it a negotiation over an agent's fee? Is it a negotiation over? Because we know Raiola, like all agents, but would want to be well looked after. <laughs> I'm sure he's probably yeah. not going uh, hungry after the Pogba deal anyway, mm-hmm. and, and Zlatan and all the other things that have made him a very, very wealthy man. Is it over a buyout clause? Um, is it you know, is it over his weekly salary? I, I can't see that being the case, that third one. I, ju- I just don't know, Phil. It just leaves open to conjecture, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't have any answers, I'm afraid. Um, 
our information at the start of the week was that it, the expectation would would be that it would be announced this week. Ronald on Thursday obviously said it's not signed categorically, but then qualified that with the fact that it's close. I hear very close. I, you know, I'm expecting it will be sooner rather than later, but obviously, yeah, I can understand, you know, it was in December when you first wrote that piece that it was close and, you know, it's. I'd love to know what, what the hold-up is. Um, you know, you mentioned a buyout clause there. I would... I won't be astonished because nothing in football should should really kind of astonish you, but I would be surprised if there was a buyout clause unless the buyout clause was something like ninety million or something absolutely like that, ridiculous, yeah. something that Barcelona would put into Suarez or Messi's contract, you know, like triple figure millions, you know, something huge. Because Everton, if you get him to sign a new deal, which it looks like they're going to, are to an extent very much in the driving seat because yes, Ron Blue may say in the summer, look. I still want to leave. You know, I get, I've given you another twelve months. I've reassessed my situation. I want to go, but ultimately, if the club don't meet the valuation, if Chelsea don't come in and meet the valuation of Everton, then Everton just say, "Sorry, you're not going. Get your boots back on. You're playing." As they did this summer. I'm obviously wrong. Went in to see the manager. He acquiesced, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, but it was it was that was the situation. It was a standoff, and Everton rightly under Farhad were, you know, they don't need the money anymore. They want the player. They want to keep him. Um, so yeah, a, a release clause would be um, be interesting to say the least if that was a hold. Prano, this is a lad who's made it abundantly clear, aside from his laudable focus and commitment this season, he's made it abundantly clear he's desperate to play in the Champions League, isn't he? He's tweeting about it all the time. He, he, every interview he mentions, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's a top player, yeah. and he's young and ambitious, intelligent, young centre forward. Can. If he signs a new contract, when he signs a new contract, if, when, will he still be here next season? Oh, who knows? I mean, uh, will the, Sorry to interrupt. Will the Europa League, if we get it, given he's already played, and that, will that be enough to keep him? I think he's the most important player in Everton's squad at the moment, bar none. You know, he's absolutely top class. Uh, you know, people tend to dwell far too much on what he doesn't do. You know, his hold-up play, which has improved significantly over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, a perceived lack of work rate which I disagree with um, but he's just absolutely top class maybe not you know absolute elite level which is in Everton's favour so you're not going to get you know your Barcelona's or your Real Madrid's or you know your Bayern Munich's coming in trying to you know sort of take him off Everton's hands but the next tier below that you know certainly would and uh, th- that's why I think it is a concern that it's not signed yet no matter what this like you know fractional sticking point is uh, it's a problem but to me he's the most important player in Everton's squad by a country mile and I think it's absolutely imperative that it gets sorted and I do hope he does stick around for a long time I mean I wrote a piece today being a miserable old curmudgeon <laughs> about um, you know this Premier League goal scoring record that he's in inverted commas broken that's not a record to me that you know he scored 61 league goals uh, there are 31 other players in Everson's history who've scored more than 61 league goals uh, so you've got to put it into perspective but what he has done is he scored those goals at a ridiculously ridiculously fast pace in 120-odd games. And there aren't many in Everton's entire history that can say they've done it you know, so at that rate. So he still has the potential to become one of the greatest, one of the finest in Everton's history. And he could do that in a, in a couple of seasons. If he spends two more seasons at Everton, he's up there with your Joe Royals, your Bob Latchfords, you know, your, your Graham Sharps, and the number of goals he's scored. Um, so I just think it is absolutely imperative that Everton do everything they can to keep him 
balls in his court, obviously, if Champions League football is a sticking point. But, you know, Everton have made progress this season. Who's to say that next season, you know, they won't be challenging for fourth place? Uh, but I like Lukaku enormously, one of the best I've seen for a long, long time at Goodison. And uh, I hope they do everything they can to keep hold of him. I'm sure that sentiment will be one that's being spoken about tonight at the Hilton. Preno, uh, tell us a bit more about what's going on this evening. Yeah, it's, it's the restoration, I suppose, of the Gladys Street Hall of Fame dinner, um, which I think it's eight years now since, uh, since the last one. David France initiated them originally, oh gosh, way back in the uh, mid-90s, I think 1995 was the first one, because one of his brainchilds was the Everton Former Players Foundation, um, which, was a mag- which is a magnificent organisation, so successful that uh, Barcelona copied the model and, uh, and use it themselves now. Uh, it's a registered charity, raises money uh, for players who've fallen on hard times and are suffering hardship. Uh, it's replaced so many hips and knees and, you know, so whatever, you know, players from the, well, from, you know, way back in the mists of time, but all the way up to, you know, the 70s and 80s, footballers that don't receive the, uh, the rewards that modern footballers do get helped up by the former Players Foundation. And David set up these Hall of Fame dinners, you know, largely to raise money at the outset before it was a registered charity uh, to put funds into that, uh, that coffer. They were very successful. Uh, being described as like Nuremberg rallies, they were at the Adelphi, and they shoehorned in oh, as hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I think that the Adelphi legally could carry about 500 people. They would regularly squeeze seven or 800 in there. And they were just mad nights, uh, just raucous, boisterous, chants galore, 30 and 40 former players uh, gathered in there, enjoying themselves, you know, so really enjoying the nights. I remember the night that Gordon Watson uh, marched in, I think it was the second or third one. Uh, he'd been wheeled into one in a wheelchair the previous year because he had bad hips. The former Players Foundation rectified that for him. The following year, he walked in uh, holding the FA Cup aloft. Um, <laughs> Emerson hadn't won the FA Cup. God knows how they got their hands on that, but they just got it as a, as a token. Anyway, Gordon Watson marched in with that. It was a wonderful night, so poignant. And I think there's been about seven or eight. I've been to everyone, and they are just great nights. They're a celebration of, uh, of everything it is, you know, to be Everson Football Club. And I believe, you know, more players are being inducted this evening. You know, I won't put any spoilers out there, but, you know, so some you know famous names being inducted. There'll be equally more famous names in there. And there are a number of other special awards that uh, I think David wanted to institute called Everton Proud Awards. And these are for Evertonians who David feels don't get the recognition that they deserve elsewhere. So it is just a, a great, great night of, you know, celebration of all things Evertonian. And uh, it's... Restored back by popular demand this evening. Yeah. Wilson. Well, one, one top Evertonian who will be there, Lyndon, um, the man behind Toffee Web. You, is this your first one? This is my first one, yeah. Yeah, yeah looking, forward forward to it. looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. You're drinking shoes on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Suitably rallied. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what have you kind of heard anecdotally about how they used to be as well? That, you know, Oh, I, yeah, I've heard that they can be <laughs> raucous affairs with people standing on tables and, and chants and all the rest of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was Alan Ball. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's going to be fun. It's, it's a shame that David couldn't be there this year, but um, we will uh, no doubt be drinking in his honour and uh, yeah, yeah. raising a glass yeah. to, to him and to, to Alec Young, and uh, it should be should be a great night. Well, I read a piece in The Guardian in the week about Stan Bowles, uh, QPR legend, and it was he, he's suffering from Alzheimer's now um, yeah. quite severely. He doesn't often doesn't know kind of even aware that he did play professional football mm. let alone I'm told and this piece describes really vividly um, very very well uh, now in the piece there's a reference to QPR haven't had a testimonial for him he doesn't get much support from the club and 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 the author mentions that unlike Alex Young 
who had the fortune to play for Everton. You know, Alex has thankfully, as far as I know, is experienced dementia, albeit as horrible as it ever would be, wasn't quite as prolonged, and it was towards the end of his life. Um, but it it, was, it struck me that jumped out from the page. I mean, he said he wasn't as fortunate as Alex to have played for a club like Everton. Just reflect on that, Prano. Barcelona copied what David's done. Yeah, 100%. It's remarkable, isn't it? It, it? it is remarkable, and I think the absolute credit should go to David France as well. I mean, Everton belatedly endorsed uh, the Former Players Foundation, but it was David's baby, it was David's brainchild, and it was instigated from an experience he had, because as we know, David had this ridiculous collection of Everton memorabilia <laughs> that he put together over 20 or 30 years. And uh, in, whilst putting that collection together, he went to visit Gordon West. Uh, he wanted to you know, buy one of Gordon's medals from him. And he realised that Gordon was in a bad way. Um, he was basically housebound, uh, didn't leave the house. Um, the house was shabby, falling to bits. Gordon's knees were bad, he couldn't, he couldn't move. And he'd become a recluse, he'd become quite depressed. And uh, David was so moved by his plight, um, he helped Gordon out personally. But then actually thought, well, hang on, you know, maybe we shouldn't just you know, give handouts. Maybe we should try and do something to help as many people in his position as possible. And so actually got together a group of people. I think I was one of the early patrons to actually um, form the former Players Foundation. And uh, him, Harry Ross, uh, you know, so Lawrence Lee, uh, you know, all got together and uh, all basically started, you know, having regular meetings to decide, A, how money could be raised and which kind of people would benefit from it. And right from the outset, David said, anybody that's played a single minute for Everton Football Club should qualify. So it's not selective. It's not, you know, just the big names that we've all heard of, your Alex Youngs and your Gordon West who've benefited. If you've played one minute for Everton Football Club, you know, way back in the 1940s, you know, you qualify for assistance. And it was so spectacularly successful that Barcelona came over and, um, you know, they actually had a dinner at uh, one of the hotels in Liverpool. Uh, Alan Ball was there and spoke so passionately that night, it was untrue. And, uh, you know, a group of Barcelona old boys played a group of Everton old boys. I think that was initially to try and raise funds for the uh, the Everton collection. Uh, But whilst they were there, they were talking to David, they realised how successful this former players foundation was. Where Barcelona took the idea and improved upon it, uh, which Everton haven't done, they insist that a percentage of all of their players' wages go into a fund to actually, you know, sort of make sure that there's always a pot. And it's only a a small percentage, but a small percentage of a Barcelona (laughs) player's wage is significant. So they're never wanting for money. Uh, the Everton Former Players Foundation still has to fundraise, and that's why the dinner is being brought, one of the reasons the dinner is being brought back this year, uh, because they're a little bit light on funds, and David wants to try and generate you know so a bit more this year. So the dinner's you know being put together for that, but it is an incredibly laudable uh, foundation. It does so much uh, for so many people, and uh, you know tonight is partly the reason that we're having one of these dinners again this evening. Yep, here, here, and let's hope it's well. I'm sure it will be a thoroughly successful evening, Lyndon. While we've got you here before. Mm-hmm. We, um, we, we get to the predictions and, and towards the end of the part. I <laughs> um, want to talk to you a little bit about the stadium because it's, it's the big thing on, really other than what's going on the pitch and maybe Lukaku's contract, I guess, that people are talking about. Um, I would imagine that you're desperate to see us move to the Bramley Moor as well and have a stadium on the banks of the Royal Blue Mersey. Yeah. I'm only, don't want to put words in your mouth. What's your take? No, I mean, I've, I've said as much on, on, on the site. Um, it, it has to be the docks. I mean, it really does. Um, for, for so many reasons, um, you know, you look at you look at the transformation that the Liverpool waterfront has undergone in recent years, um, and it's it's just stunning for us and for us to to add to that and to put our place there for the future of our club, the image of our club, the standing for our club in the city. I think it's it would just be huge, and I 
yeah, I think we're all we're all on tenterhooks, just waiting, yeah. just waiting. Because if I mean, once they announce it, I mean, obviously it's still got to be done. Yeah. Um, but it, when have we ever been in a better position yeah. since I don't know the '60s and the Mersey Millionaires, where we could actually get it done yeah. and have it built? And I think it would just be amazing. Um, Groovy, it would be groundbreaking, and it's it's the biggest thing beyond you know, any player that we yeah. could get done right now. When you say the waiting, I know it's uh, relatively, you know. <laughs> it's a short wait when you think how long Evertonians have waited for a successful ground project to, to emerge and that's not a, a dig at previous iterations of the board or whatever the thing is though you can understand why Everton there's that little residual bit of p- not panic but just nerves about it because we've yeah. been here not been here quite as much we've never had someone like Farhad Mishiri at the figurehead but nonetheless that's why people are so desperate to get announced and to know we're definitely going there yeah. Yeah. And see, maybe see the nominal spade in the ground, aren't they? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's massive. I mean, the, just logistically, the the project is huge. Financially, it's going to be huge. You only have to look at Tottenham's; it's just doubled. So mm. there's going to be threats to it all the way along. But just getting the confirmation that yeah. we've got we've got the space, we've got the agreement from the you know, the council and the partnership with the council, we've got the agreement with Peel, and we can start moving forward. Um, and it, I mean, it really is once you start, you know, filling in docks, it's. You, know, you started. You started a ball rolling that, that really needs. You to would keep hope going, that it, you would yeah. think. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you say, with um, with Farhad's backing, it, it's it, it's not. It doesn't seem to be the kind of situation where we are going to be scratching the pennies every step of the way to get it done. I mean, he's got resources. He's got very wealthy friends and backers and people who are in the right kind of industries to build stadia. So yeah, I'm 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 excited for it, and I just hope it gets done. Brilliant, yeah. You raise a good point as well about the fact that even when it's announced, you know, if you only have to look at Tottenham's project, <laughs> there will be, I'm so sure, subsequent podcasts, debates and stories to follow, but at least then we'll know broadly where we're heading. Phil, we're going to get around to uh, predictions and I'm going to put you on the spot. Seeing you wriggled out of your adjudication before and somehow begged Prano to come to your, your aid and make it 2-2. Ronald made it three two, so I don't know two two. He was a fun to saw loser, isn't he? Oh, <laughs> terrible. He wasn't having it on Sunday when I thought. Yeah, go on, Phil. Everton, West Brom, Goodison Park, three um, o'clock. Everton Football Club two, um, West Brom one, two one. Prano, <laughs> absolutely identical prediction. Oh, um, best well, pals. West, West well, we, Brom. Clearly, we know football. <laughs> West Brom are one of those teams, uh, you know, Everton seems to do well against the Goodison Park, but, you know, maybe struggle more so against the, the Hawthorns. The, the nuisances, they're one of those teams that, you know, so can cause you issues, uh, but there seems to be a little bit more resilience about uh, Everton at the moment. And as I said earlier, are very good at beating the teams that you would hope they would beat. And I think that'll be the case. I think it'll be a narrow victory. Okay, uh, well, I'll go last. Go on, then. <laughs> it's to be boring, but two one as well. Two one. Um, I mean, because I, I don't see us scoring three against West Brom. No. I mean, it could happen. I mean, you know, they yeah. conceded two. I think they lost. Did they lose three 0 a few weeks back as well? Away, away from response. home. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, it, it can happen. You know, if we if we get out, out the blocks early, score early, um, then I think you know we could, we could break their resistance fairly early on. But yeah. I think it's going to be close. It's, it just has the feel of that kind of game. I, I'd like to see Luckman or Morales start. I wouldn't like to see us um, set up as defensively as we did at White Hart Lane. I sort of understand why the manager did did it like that, but I think he probably acknowledged that it, it didn't work. Whatever, you know, Spurs were top side. But, yeah, it, 
maybe Luckman, maybe we see him. He didn't come on at White Hart Lane, did he? No. So from the start, he, he posed some questions that West Brom, they've never had to defend against him before. So it's a bit of the unknown. Um, and I, I think we'll win 1-0. Clean sheet. 1-0 and keep it yeah a loaded clean sheet I can't see them like you, you I agree with you guys that they won't concede loads against us as long as it doesn't go the way it's last season's game oh. 38 shots no goals <laughs> war of attrition on one goal yeah, yeah. Like that, nine, that game 9 times out of 10 though you win it though yeah famous <laughs> quote I lost count the amount of times Martin has used that analogy with us if you're 99 times you do this it would have been, we would have won 2-0. Yeah, but we didn't do it 99 times. We got beat once. Anyway. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back to review the R2-1 <laughs> win uh, to start next week. I uh, we hope everyone who's listening who's going to go to the Hilton tonight has a great time. Um, we'll discuss that as well next week. And cheers for listening. <laughs>